0: All right, we're going to be in Genesis 15, so I want you to turn to Genesis 15. We'll be looking at other passages, though, as well. Uh, we started a, a Advent series, Christmas series last week, where we'll be looking at some of the covenants that God has made throughout the Old Testament and seeing how Christ has then fulfilled those covenants, how we see Christ in these covenants that God has made had the opportunity to listen to Pastor Spencer's sermon last week, and I was very thankful for his message. It was excellently done, and it was good, I know, for me to hear. So I want to go off of that, because today, he, he talked about the fall, and then the covenant that God had made with Adam and Eve, and then also with the serpent, about what would be done because of sin, and how that would be played out, and how Jesus was the one who had his heel bruised, but he crushed Satan's head and he crushed the serpent's head. And so we see that fulfillment in Christ. Uh, The next covenant that we want to focus on, though, and talk about is God's covenant with Abraham, which is a very important covenant. If you look at Genesis 12, which you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read just a, a few verses from there because this is where we first see it. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, because Abraham's name at this point was Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the covenant that we see God make with Abraham, and what does God do? God calls Abraham out, even though, I want to point out, Abraham was not seeking this. He he was not like searching for God and saying, I think God is going to use me. I I, I think I have the attributes needed to be successful for God. No, Abraham was minding his own business, doing what his fathers had done, being the land that his fathers had been, and God specifically goes to him and calls him out. God chose Abraham from out of everybody else on the earth and made this covenant with him. And this is a very important point to make because it really is a big part of the grand story of Scripture that we have. When we look at the Bible as a whole, uh, there's, a, there's a line of thought, biblical theology it's called. And so biblical theology is like taking the whole grand story of Scripture and saying, what's going on here? Uh, let's, let's put it all together and see what is happening. And so as we look at that, we see a very important thing coming in, in the fact that God chose Abraham. Abraham. You might not know this little passage, but this little passage is actually pretty telling about Abraham. In Joshua 24, verse 2 through 3, listen to what it says about him. It says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. What does this show us? This shows us that not only was Abraham not looking for God, Abraham was serving other gods. Abraham was a pagan, Abraham was a sinner. And God did not need to reach out to him and to call him and to choose him. Yet God, in his great masterful plan, his perfect plan, chose Abraham, chose to pick Abraham, chose to call out Abraham. Now, if you look at Hebrews 11, verse 8, it does say this. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. What do we see here? What do we see? Already we see early in Genesis, early in the Bible, early in biblical theology, we see that by faith, Abraham believed God and trusted in his promise, and we see that this is how God still works today. You hear us say this very often, and this is what we mean. By grace through faith. By grace, Abraham was called out by God. By faith, Abraham believed and went. We see it already being played out at one of the very first stories that we have. God is a God of grace, and he gives faith to those who believe. And so by faith, Abraham left everything that he knew, and walked out of that land to a land that God had promised him or would promise him. So still today, at this very time, this is what God does. This is how he works. This is how he calls out his people and his family by grace through faith. Now, as we continue to read on, I'm skipping over Genesis 13 and Genesis 14. You can read some things that happened in Abraham's family because he does take some family members with him as he departs from the land. And so you can read those on your own. But what I want to focus on is Genesis 15. And so hopefully you've turned there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible there in the pew rack in front of you. It's a black little book. I think it says Holy Bible on it. And you can take that out. And if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one. That one can be yours now. But Genesis 15 is where we're going to read. And so I want you to follow along with me. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him This man shall not be your heir your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, "O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these. He cut them in half, and he laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, "'Know for certain that your offspring "'will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs "'and will be servants there, "'and they will be afflicted for 400 years. "'But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, "'and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. "'As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, "'and you shall be buried in a good old age, "'and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, "'for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. "'When the sun had gone down and it was dark,' Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephram, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So what do we have here? We have, again, God promising, making a covenant with Abraham. But Abraham knows God's promise but here's the thing he doesn't see it happening he doesn't see it happening he's like i don't have any kids and so this is a very honest question god you, you made this promise to me but i don't i don't see it playing out are are you going to use this other guy uh, this heir to my to my stuff or or what is happening because there's no kid there's if this bloodline is supposed to remain i, I don't I don't have that, but yet you've promised it to me. And so Abraham asks God this question of like, what's going on? What is happening here? And God reassures Abraham and once again establishes his covenant with him. But this time we see it done a different way. God does the covenant in a way that Abraham might have even seen before. It was a way that was actually pretty common during Abraham's time. There's actually accounts of of kings making covenants together in this way. You see, during the time of Abraham, when covenants were agreed upon by two different people or two different nations, we would see sacrifices take place. And so they would make a sacrifice, which Abraham did, and they would cut these sacrifices in half and they would spread them out. So they'd go on the sides. And what would happen is the two people, the two parties involved in the covenant and the agreement would walk through the sacrifices together. And what they were doing when they would do this is they're saying, both parties agree to this covenant. If one of us breaks this covenant, let us be as the sacrifices who are dead here and their carcasses are being eaten by these birds. Because you notice that there was an interesting little line put in there. Abram driving off the birds of prey as the carcasses are eaten. You're like, why in the world was that put in there? For that reason, that was part of the covenant. You're looking that person in the eye saying, if I break this covenant, I die and let the birds eat me. That's how serious it was. So this was something that Abraham might have been privy to before. We see this also in Jeremiah 34, verse 17 through 20. I'm not going to read it for us right now, but it is there, and what happens is Israel breaks the covenant. And God judges them and says, So be it. Let you be destroyed just like the sacrifices. You have broken your covenant with me. And so, again, it wasn't an odd thing to happen. It was a pretty common thing to happen. But there's something very interesting in this covenant that happens here that doesn't happen in other ones. You will notice this in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Only one person in this party walked through it. Abraham did not walk through it. Abraham did not step through the sacrifice. Abraham made the sacrifice and he spread them out and he got it ready. But when this sacrifice was being, or when this covenant was being sealed, was being promised, only one party walked through, because this represents God. This was God walking through the sacrifice, letting Abraham know, I made you a promise, and it all hinges on me, not you. You're not the one walking through this. I am walking through this. I am making this promise to you, Abraham, and I am promising you that it will be accomplished. I will make sure that it all happens. It is a one-sided covenant where God bears absolutely all the responsibility for it. 100%. Michael Horton would call this a royal grant covenant. It is one-sided by the king. Now there's another covenant that you might think of that's the same way. It's the covenant that God made with Noah, which we skipped. But you remember, God made a covenant with Noah, and what did he say? I will not flood the earth like this again. And he says, I will give you a sign, and the sign is the rainbow. And one of the things that people will say to remember that is when you see a rainbow, I don't know if any of you have ever shot a bow and arrow or anything like that, but when you see the rainbow, it's pointing upwards. It's pointing upwards, and it's all him. I can do nothing to make sure it doesn't flood. Do you remember why God caused it to flood? Why did God cause the whole earth to flood? Because of the sin of the people. The people were so bad and they were so wicked, God was like, I'm over this. I'm going to get rid of everybody. But then he promised, this will not happen again. Part of the promise wasn't, if you guys stop being wicked. No, it's one-sided. We're extremely wicked. Our society is extremely wicked. There's so many bad things that go on. There's so many hard things that happen. To where if you were God, I would guess you would flood it all. But God says, no, I've made a promise. And it's a one-sided promise. And it's the same type of promise that he makes here with Abraham. It is completely one-sided. As you get to Genesis chapter 17, God makes this promise to Abraham again and also to his descendants. And I want to read it for you real fast, verses one through eight. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so God again promising Abraham, making a covenant with him and his descendants. This is the major theme here, that God is their God, and he will make sure of it. That's what God is promising Abraham. I am your God, I am your family's God, and I will make sure I am your God. I will see this through. And so today, what I want to focus on, really, a lot of it comes from Graham Goldsworthy's uh, little book, Gospel and Kingdom, uh, which is a biblical theology book. But I want us to notice four things real quick. First is this. God promised Abraham his descendants would become a great nation. We've read that. We see this promise, and we see it happen throughout the whole Old Testament. This ends up happening. Abraham has a child. That child has a child. They have children, and they grow abundantly. Even to when we see that they get to Egypt, eventually Israel gets to Egypt and we learn that while they're in Egypt, they grow so big that the people of Egypt are actually scared of them. And that's why they enslave them and they end up turning them into, into slaves in Egypt. And so we see God do this and we see God then fulfill his promise that they would leave Egypt, right? We saw that too. Because God, the second thing is God promised Abraham his descendants would possess the promised land. So not just that they would be a big, great nation, but they also would possess a land, and he he called it the promised land. And so we know the story of Moses, which will be talked about more next week, but Moses leads them uh, to the promised land after a very long walk. There's a lot that goes on there. But because of sin, Moses is not allowed to go in. He's not allowed to enter because of his own sin and his own life, and so God tells Moses, you can see it, but you can't go in. And so that happens, but yet the people of Israel get to go in. God chooses Joshua, and Joshua leads Israel into the promised land. They fight a lot of battles. They fight many wars. They win many of them. They lose some of them, and they end up winning the land for the Israelites to to rule. But if you've read the Bible much at all, you know that it wasn't that cut and dry. For all of their existence, There have been battles raging of whose land this is even today that many of you probably follow. I don't that much, but many of you might follow. It still rages on, this battle of whose land is it. And it comes from the fact that God had promised this to Israel. The third promise we see is God promised Abraham his descendants would be God's own people. As we continue through the Old Testament, what we begin to see is that God continues to keep his promise. He's faithful to Israel, even when Israel is not faithful to him. It's kind of sad to read. I've been going through like First and Second Kings and these different books. It's really sad to see how often it says, and the king of Israel continued to disobey the Lord. The king of Israel continued to lead the people to worship at the high places, to worship Baal, to worship these other gods over and over and over again, generations after generations after generations of God's own people that God called out, that God had blessed, turning their back on him, but yet we never see God turn his back on them. He lets them go into captivity. He uses foreign nations as a way to discipline his people, but he never says, you're no longer my people. He never at one point says, the covenant I made with Abraham forget it. It's over. You guys have disobeyed. And the reason is the people didn't walk through the sacrifices. God did. God walked through it. God is the one who made the covenant with the people. And God was the one who made sure that his people were his people and would remain his people. Now, this is where it gets important for us. Because to be honest, if I were sitting where you are sitting right now, I wouldn't be too thrilled with the sermon. I wouldn't be too impressed with what was being talked about. Pastor Tim, you're talking about something thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago that have to do with a people that I have no connection to whatsoever. Most of us in here do not have the bloodline of Abraham in our veins. Now maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you have some Jewish blood in you. But for most of us, I'm going to guess we don't. And so as we look at these first three promises, the good question would be, who cares? None of this is for me. None of this falls in line for me. I mean, if you come up to me and you say, man, guess what happened to me? I had an uncle who died, and I'm his only heir, and I just got $2 million. I'm going to say, well, that's great for you. Are you giving me any? No? Well, whatever. That doesn't mean anything to me then. It doesn't help me out at all. And that's really where we find ourselves right now in this point of the story. If this was only the three points, if it was only God promised they'd be his people, promised them land, promised they would be a nation, congrats. Doesn't mean anything for me. Why is this good news then for me? Well, it's because God made another promise to Abraham. Not just that they would be a nation, but God promised Abraham that he would be a father of a multitude of nations. Not just one, but it says of many nations. We read this morning purposefully in Luke chapter 1. Uh, Pastor Scott read this in verses 54 through 55. It's when Mary finds out that she's pregnant. And Mary bursts out actually in a song of praise. And she says something interesting in there because she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham. And to his offspring forever. Mary brings up Abraham. And what she's doing is she is connecting Jesus to Abraham saying, this child is the one who is going to make those promises true. Mary is making that connection. But then what I read was Zechariah, Zechariah does the exact same thing when he's talking about his son, John the Baptist, who will be the forerunner for Jesus. He connects it to Abraham. He says the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. He's pointing to Jesus as well, saying Jesus is the one who makes all of this worked. Now, maybe they haven't fully grasped everything at this point. But still they make this proclamation And then Jesus, when he is born, Jesus makes some bold claims as he lives his life in regard to Abraham. In John chapter 8, and I'll read this. You can just just sit there and listen as I read this. Notice what Jesus says when it comes to Abraham. He says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me You are of your father, the devil. And we gotta stop there for a moment. This begins to open our eyes to the truth of who are the children of Abraham. Jesus is starting to point out that blood has nothing to do with it. That's what he's letting them know here. Because these Pharisees, these people are saying, Are you saying Abraham's not our father? I wasn't born in sexual immorality. My mom didn't have an affair. my dad didn't have an affair with some foreign woman. I am of Abraham. You see, they were stuck on the fact saying, I am of the blood of Abraham. It runs through my veins. And Jesus' response to them is, if you were of Abraham, you would do what he did, but you don't. You actually obey your father. You want to know who that is? The devil. Wow. It causes problems. I mean, can read on. You are of your father, the devil. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? This is a big question. A lot hinges on this. Because this is the covenant that God has made with Abraham. There's a lot going here. And they're asking Jesus, who do you think you are in relation to Abraham and to all the prophets before We are God's chosen people. Who are you? And this is how he answers. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced. That he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Okay, that's a, that's a fair question, because Abraham died a long time ago. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Okay, big statement there, because look what happens in 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, and went out of the temple. We might ask the question, well, why would they take up stones to throw it at him? Because in their eyes, as a Jewish people, in how they were seeing salvation work out, salvation worked out in one way, and it was what blood runs through your veins. Is it Abraham's, or is it not? If it's not Abraham's blood, then you cannot be a part of God's people, because the covenant was made with Abraham and his bloodline. And what Jesus does is Jesus goes in, and he says, Before Abraham ever was, I am. Jesus just declared himself to be God. He just stood before these people and he's telling them, I am God. The God that called Abraham out, that was me. That was me saying that. I have come in the flesh to ransom Israel, to save Israel, to save people of their sins. Jesus, I don't want to say he's blowing things up because Jesus is actually satisfying everything. He's completing the law. He's satisfying. He's not not pushing this covenant aside. He's saying, I am the one who has come to fulfill it. It is through me that that he, Abraham, can be a father to many nations. Jesus makes this huge claim. Your father isn't Abraham. You worship the devil. You serve the devil. And their response is 100% physical. But Jesus is trying to point them to something else. He's saying, this isn't about something physical. He says, this is about me and what I am doing. It's about grace through faith. And so they want him dead. And this ends up being why they crucified Jesus, because of statements like this. Paul really is helpful in us trying to grasp this and understand this better. One of the first sermon series I did as pastor was in the book of Galatians. And Galatians talks about this in great extent. Galatians chapter 3 talks about it very specifically, and I know this is a longer passage. I'm going to read it, but I'm also going to end on it, so you can be assured of that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 through 29 helps us to see this and understand it. It helps us to see why this story is so important for us as Gentiles today, as people who do not have the blood of Abraham in our veins. Paul says this way, to give a human example, brothers, Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. You'll understand that better next week when we do the the law, the covenant of the law. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then do we have the law then? That's the question. Why do we have the law? If it all came through Abraham, what was the purpose of the law? It says, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary applies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. That's an important statement. That's a big statement. Because you remember in Galatians, what Paul is dealing with is he's dealing with Jewish people who are coming in and they're telling Gentile people like us who've trusted in Jesus as their Savior saying, you haven't done enough. You actually have to obey some of this law before you can really be a part of Christ. And Paul's trying to fight that. He's saying, no, it's all in Christ. It's not about circumcision. It's not about this baptism. It's not about these things. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. And that is it. That's that's what Paul is trying to fight here. That is what Paul is trying to To refute. And so he says, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are of Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. The promise that God made to Abraham, what Paul is saying, has been fulfilled by Jesus. It's not fulfilled by bloodline, it's been fulfilled by the blood of Christ. Remember, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced and he was glad in my day. And this is what he's talking about. Paul found this to be so important as he would fight with these Judaizers, these Jews who were coming in and perverting the gospel message, the free gospel message of God's grace by faith through Jesus. They were, they were coming in and they were trying to twist it and what they were essentially doing is they were destroying the church. They were, they were teaching the church that your, your good works is what's gonna get you to heaven. You being a good person is what's, is what's going to let you on the judgment day get a pass. God's going to say, Yeah, you did this bad stuff, but man, you're circumcised and you are pretty nice. Welcome. And Paul's saying, No, that's not what this is about. What it means to be an heir of Abraham, it means that by grace, through faith, you have trusted in Jesus. It's not about your bloodline. It's not about whether you're Jew or Greek. It's not about whether you're male or female. Doesn't mean if you're rich or poor, old or young. None of that matters in this. It's who has been saved by God's grace and trusted in Jesus, just like Abraham did back then. God called him out, and by faith, he trusted and believed. It's the same thing we are called to do today. We're not bound to Abraham by circumcision. We're not bound to Abraham by keeping the law that God gave to Moses and to Israel. We are bound to God. We are bound together as a church family by the great grace of God that he has given us through Jesus and the faith that we have put in him. And this is good news. Because as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate the coming of Jesus, we celebrate it in a way, understanding that what what God has done is God has broken down every line that divides us. And so that I can look at people of other races and I can say, Jesus loves you too. I can look at people of the opposite sex and I can say, Jesus loves you too. I can look at Democrats and Republicans and say, Jesus loves you too. You can go on and on and on. God has broken those barriers. It's not about where you were born. It's not about who your parents are. It's about have you, by faith, through grace, trusted in what the Bible tells us about Jesus and what he has done? Will you, by faith, believe that when the Bible tells you that all you have to do is trust that Jesus has accomplished the good task for you and you will be saved? Do you believe that? That's the question. That, that's, the, that's the decision that you have to sit here and decide this morning. Do you really believe that Jesus that we celebrate of Christmas is the Messiah and the Savior? Do you really believe that he did all the work for you and it is a free gift of grace that you receive? That's what it all hinges on. That's what determines if you are part of the covenantal promises that Abraham received from God Or, if you are like those Pharisees that Jesus would look in the eye and say, you think your father's Abraham? Your father's the devil. And you serve the devil. He was a murderer. He was a liar. He was a cheat. And you do the same thing. You see, that's where we really have to get honest with ourselves. I know we don't like to think of ourselves that way. I don't like to think of myself that way. I don't think of myself as a murderer. I don't think of myself in any bad way, I guess. None of us want to do that. But the fact is, as we start to put ourselves up to the standard of God's law, it becomes obvious really quick, really quickly, Tim, you are a cheat. You're a liar. You're selfish. You're harsh on other people while easy on yourself. I start to make this big, long list and it becomes very clear, Tim, you don't meet the standard. You... You actually serve Satan. You might play the game. You might sit in these red pews. You might listen to what's being talked about. You might even know the answers that are in the book. You're just playing the game, aren't you? But the fact is, you are a servant of the devil. Again, we don't like to think of ourselves that way. But we find that out as we start to compare ourselves to the word of God. But the good news that we've been given here is that it's not about what Tim has done. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about what Jesus has done for Tim. It's about what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus has made a way for you to be included in these promises that he made to Abraham thousands of years ago. I will be your God. I will not let you go. This covenant is a covenant that is ratified by God, not me. I did not walk through the sacrifice. Jesus did. He was a sacrifice. He sacrificed himself for me. It's not something that I can do for myself. I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. And the Bible tells me Jesus is that Savior. And he's not just mine. He's yours. He's the only savior this world has. There's no other gods that are real. There's no other gods that can get you into heaven or some good place. It's not, those are not real. The Bible tells us there is one God and he sent his son for you. If, by grace through faith, you would just believe. And if you do that this morning, if you would trust in him as your savior, the Bible tells us you will be saved. You will become a part of Abraham's family. You will become an heir to all the promises that Abraham received and that you will be with God in eternity after you die. You will go home to be with your father God instead of home to be with your father Satan. This is the promise that we've been given in Christmas. This is the promise that we've been given as we celebrate Easter later. This can be your promise if by faith you will trust in the grace of God. Let's bow together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. God, I, I understand how people could sit and listen and think this is so archaic. You're talking about somebody thousands of years ago who's not even in my family. Over in the Middle East, what does this have to do with me? God, I pray that this morning we see what it has to do with us. In your grace you reached down into humanity and you chose abraham and you said you are my child i am your god you did not have to do that you are the creator of all things and you simply if you wanted to could have created and just let it go you chose not to do that you had a plan you knew that adam and eve would sin as pastor spencer said last week You knew that what it would require for man to have a relationship with you would be the sacrifice of Jesus. God, that happened. So God, for those of us here this morning who are part of the church, who've been saved by by your grace, through faith, through trust in you, in Jesus, God, we put all of our chips on that. Everything is on Christ. It's, It's not about me. It's about him. And because of that, we can read these promises to Abraham and know that that is us. We are included in those promises. We have been grafted in to the vine, it says in your word. So God, that causes us to want to worship you. It causes us to want to praise you. Help us to stay focused on what you have done for us. God, I pray for that person here this morning who's drowning in their sin. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt they're completely lost in their sin. There's no way out. They've tried to be good. They've tried to do good things. They've tried to calm their heart by giving to charity or going to churches at different times. And they find that they're still struggling. There's still just this overwhelming guilt and shame because of the sin that they have. God, I pray that this morning you would open their eyes to the truth to see that what you've done through Christ is you have made a way for their shame and their guilt to be removed. Help them to realize this morning that it's not about them, it's about the perfect work of Jesus. And that that gift can be given to them by God and his grace through faith. Not some magical thing, not not something that they have to do of walking forward or reciting this or saying this. No, by faith believing that Jesus is real and his promises are real and they are theirs. That's what your word tells us. And when that is done honestly and truthfully, You will never let them go. They become yours, and they are yours. So God, I pray that you do that in people's lives this morning. We trust you with that. That's a work that only you can do. God, as we sing this last song here, help us to worship you. Help us to praise you. Help us to honor you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.